This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. Hey, and one more thing. If you love the show and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. Hi, this is Paul, and I'm here to present the fight study for UFC on ESPN5, Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. Colby Covington took home a unanimous decision win over Robbie Lawler, with all the judges scoring every round for Covington. To the disappointment of ruthless fans everywhere, Colby Covington made Robbie Lawler look his age. Even though Covington has more than his fair share of haters, it would be foolish to write off his skill sets as a fighter. Frankly, he's such a piece of shit that the only notable fans he has are the Trump family. His whole shtick consists of being a bad jail son and ripoff. When he's not spoiling movies or hiring women to act as his fans, he's delivering some cringeworthy lines that honestly aren't even worth repeating. And anytime you think he's serious about his tough guy image, don't forget that Verdum smacked him around with the boomerang. And he went crying to Dana Trump. I mean, Dana McMahon. I mean, Dana White. Anyways, since we want to still give a technical breakdown, despite a genuine disdain for Covington, why not use this fight as an opportunity to lay out a possible blueprint that other wrestling-based fighters can utilize against dangerous strikers that have strong takedown defense? I'll go over the fight round by round, breaking down the action, adding in things that the wrestler can do to impose their game plan while minimizing risk. Furthermore, I'll go over things that the striker could have done to improve their chance of winning against such a style matchup. For the sake of the study, Covington will hereby be referred to as the wrestler, and Lawler will be referred to as the striker. Let's get started. In the first round, the wrestler needs to be able to garner the respect from the striker even for just a little bit. The wrestler needs to trade strikes to let the striker get more comfortable in getting their feet set in place and committing to throwing more strikes. In this matchup, the wrestler spends the first few seconds exchanging blows with no real intention of shooting in. A great way to set up some strikes would be to throw kicks to the lead leg, especially if the striker likes to stay heavy on the lead or back foot. Since the striker wants to stay mobile and in and out of range, this is a great way to limit mobility and score some points. This can also be thrown more liberally if the striker is known for absorbing the kicks instead of checking them, and the more you throw, the harder it becomes for them to move as the fight goes on. Think of these as body shots, investments that you make early on to pay dividends later on. Once the striker feels comfortable enough to start engaging you head on, you need to latch on by any means necessary. If the wrestler only has one way of closing the distance and grappling, No matter how good they are, it's just a matter of time before they are figured out and stifled. In this matchup, the wrestler went from head and arm control to pummeling down for a single leg, switching to a knee tap, back to a double leg, before finally scoring with a single leg. When that only provided a momentary takedown, the wrestler held on to the striker 
and transition the back control before dragging down the striker right back into back control. A rear naked choke attempt doesn't immediately work, but it doesn't mean you get frustrated. In actuality, it gives the wrestler an opportunity to rain down some punches and elbows to soften up the striker in between further attempts. This is one of the ways that Chris Weidman was able to be so dominant in his matches against Anderson Silva, which many newer fans might recognize as the best example of how a wrestler with so-so striking can beat one of the best stand-up strikers at their own game. Now, there is a chance that the striker's takedown and submission defense is excellent, and they can avoid the choke and work their way back up to the feet. If and when that happens, it's important not to panic, and hopefully you've drilled for this kind of situation. Make sure that you start mixing it up again on the feet and remind the striker that they're dealing with someone that can stand and trade with them if necessary, since you're going to need them to start swinging with bad intentions if you intend to get them to stand still long enough to go for another takedown. Round one ends with this kind of back and forth, and it's a sign of things to come. As a striker, this is one of the worst ways to start a fight since your psyche is already hampered by the less than stellar beginning. The first five minutes is when you have the most energy and can get the wrestler to respect your power and keep them from level changing. If you get in the habit of plodding forward and sucked into exchanges, you're no longer playing to your strengths. You're simply reacting to what the wrestler wants you to do. The wrestler knows that you're vulnerable when you're planting and swinging at him. As a striker, you need to keep them guessing. This is one of the things that makes fighters like Max Holloway and Robert Whitaker so hard to read, since you're not certain which of their strikes are real and which of them are feints. It's not enough to simply paw at them to let them know that you might punch. You need to mix in crafty footwork, hip feints, and takedowns of your own to keep them guessing. Other excellent examples of such strikers are future opponents of Holloway and Whitaker. Alexander Volkanovsky and Israel Adesanya. Both of these fighters also use feints extremely well and their footwork is excellent. By staying mobile and constantly feinting both upper and lower body movements, it makes their opponents uncomfortable at all times and causes them to overreact. These are things that the striker in this fight could have implemented more, but it is what it is. The second round starts with some more kicks from the wrestler and it gets the striker to keep their hands high to defend. Once the hands are worried about the threats from the feet, you can throw more punches to remind them that you are a multifaceted problem. While you're doing this, have the striker on the back feet and keep pressuring them to the fence where it'll be harder for them to sprawl out. In this instance, the wrestler was able to throw a 1-2 into an ankle pick to take down the striker. The threat of the jabs and straights into single and double leg takedowns are enough to keep the striker guessing, but adding in ankle picks just throws another grappling variable. In round 2, the wrestler knows that the striker is going to find a way back to the feet again, and it's not going to be enough to simply throw punches to keep them occupied. Why not give them an elbow off the clinch break? This is a favorite of Leon Edwards and Tony Ferguson, and it works wonders to keep the opponent guessing and score a possible cut. Another great strike to throw while in the clinch are knees to the midsection. These are slightly more powerful than simple hooks and uppercuts, 
And if the wrestler can occupy the striker's hand by grabbing at the wrist and holding on to an underhook, it gives them free reign to land these strikes whenever the opportunities present themselves. When the striker is able to escape and break free from the clinch, the wrestler will herd them back to the fence and go for strikes into takedowns over and over again. Since the fence keeps the striker from escaping back, it will keep them planted and gives you a place to attempt takedowns repeatedly. The wrestler takes down the striker again with the ankle pick and immediately shelves it to temporarily keep the striker from attempting to hip escape and scramble back up. However, once the striker does get back to the feet, the wrestler does a good job of mixing in jabs and straights while adding in hooks and kicks to the body to keep the striker guessing. By pressuring forward methodically, the wrestler also keeps the striker from moving out. The striker isn't doing himself much favors since he seems to be content rolling with the punches and hoping that the frantic pace that the wrestler has set will work to his advantage and make sure that he gets tired sooner than later. This kind of disciplined punching and kicking by the wrestler just goes to show you how far they have come in their striking development, and credit has to be given to their coaches. It's not enough that you simply get the rounds in and out and hit the pads. The wrestler needs to build a certain amount of comfort while striking so that they develop an actual threat that can get the striker to be wary of danger. The round ends with the wrestler landing more strikes on the striker, and it hasn't been even close competitively. When round 3 starts, the wrestler starts adding in hooks off the jab, showing that the punches are getting varied. A takedown gets reversed very quickly and the fight is back on its feet, and the wrestler makes sure that the exchanges end with clinch work. To make sure that he doesn't leave empty-handed, the wrestler will mix in knees while disengaging the clinch, but the striker finally gets in a few good uppercuts as well. This is where the wrestler shows the limitations of simply striking and attempting takedowns. When your MMA is done in phases, meaning striking phase, wrestling phase, submission phase, you give the opponent a chance to break the link in that chain and start fighting at their chosen rhythm and pace. This is what happens in spurts of round 3, where the wrestler has a harder time getting the takedowns, so the striking becomes more piecemeal. Although he does put in the work striking, the wrestler is still in territory that he's not entirely comfortable navigating, and the striker can find openings. In this case, the striker connects with a nice hook and stuns the wrestler momentarily in round 3, reminding him of the danger that waits him if he stands still long enough after exchanging punches. The jabs also begin to add up for the striker, and his ability to roll with the punches is still one of his best attributes. The striker is also doing a much better job in this round of constantly circling and not getting pressured back into the fence. This is the kind of game plan that should have been in place from the get-go, but it's better late than never. In round 4, the wrestler goes back to mixing in kicks with his jabs and straights, and he doesn't forget to pressure the striker and put his back against the fence. The striker prefers to roll and evade the punches, which works well if you're going to return fire immediately, but doesn't do much good if you simply absorb the strikes. The wrestler picks up on this defensive pattern and feels pretty comfortable in mixing up the punches and starts throwing hooks to the body as well. 
just when the striker gets a little more comfortable, the wrestler shoots in on a takedown and gets it. Even though the striker scrambles back up, an extended clinch battle shows that the wrestler can still dictate where the punches land if they strike at a close range, since he can still initiate the takedown. This is frustrating since the striker has so many tools available that can make life difficult for the wrestler, and it wouldn't take that much tweaking from his end. One of the tools that Junior Dos Santos uses to much success is the jab to the body, and it works wonders since it's not something you can really defend quickly. With a few of these thrown early, it'll have the opponent reaching down to parry, giving the striker a perfect opportunity to throw an overhand and connect. If body punches aren't your thing, Eddie Alvarez is able to work wonders by circling in one direction, fainting in another, and then circling back in the opposite direction to have the opponent whiffing at air. In terms of boxing, Miguel Cotto is an absolute master at this, and you don't have to look back further than his rematch against Antonio Margarito to see this in all its glory. Another simple addition are intercepting strikes, whether they're uppercuts or knees. For uppercuts, Francis Ngannou throws some scary ones to keep you from blindly shooting in, and it was only Stipe Miocha's constant fainting and spamming jab that diffused it. One of Donald Cerrone's signature moves is his intercepting knee that he throws whenever he thinks opponents are getting too close, and it was actually used against the likes of Eddie Alvarez and Robbie Lawler whenever they got within range of being able to shoot in and level change. Taking a couple of these in the midsection and almost always getting decked in the chin made them second guess getting that close. In this fight, the striker can't simply roll with the punches, slip a couple while moving forward, and expect a few jabs are enough to win the fight. Round 5 is almost a carbon copy of rounds 3 and 4, and it's a bit frustrating to see since now the striker knows that outside of a knockout, he can't win this fight. This just creates more of an opportunity for the wrestler to attempt takedowns since he knows you'll be desperate. The striker does a better job this round of mixing in different combinations and even unloads while going for body jabs and hooks while fainting. Perhaps it was due to the southpaw versus southpaw matchup, but the striker fought Rafael Dos Anjos not too long ago, and that was another southpaw matchup that he could have learned from. The striker also loads too much into punches since he needs that power to knock out the wrestler, but it just slows him down. If only this kind of urgency could have been put in place from the middle of round two, this fight could have played out differently. Even though the takedowns were few and far between in rounds three through five, the wrestler is comfortable enough on the feet to score points since he knows that the striker is only a threat on the feet and has no intention of shooting in for their own takedown or threatening with submissions. This is an area where someone like Tony Ferguson shines, since he'll have no problem attempting submissions like the darts choke from the opponent's takedown attempts to keep them from exposing their necks. Even if it's not successful, the threat of a real submission is enough to keep the wrestler from shooting in recklessly. The fight ends with disappointing results for the striker, and it might be a sign that he's no longer able to compete with the top of the division. It's important to note that Covington isn't the only one that uses this strategy to its fullest. Before his most recent decline, Chris Weidman was known for his disciplined striking that can seamlessly transition to his wrestling, 
and is one of the things that Frankie Edgar is known for. If we're going for historical examples, no one exemplifies this better than the great George St. Pierre. Back in the not-so-distant past, GSP was a prototype of how a wrestler can time their takedowns and control the opponents on the feet with a disciplined jab. Covington isn't the prolific jab monster that GSP was, but he looked comfortable enough on the feet that he exchanged punches with Lawler without looking too out of place. Perhaps it was also due to Lawler's willingness to slip punches and stay in the pocket that helped Covington feel more comfortable on the feet. But credit where credit is due. He stood with Lawler and didn't get his head lopped off. American Top Team has done a great job of showing that they can also take wrestlers and turn them into decent strikers, the same thing that AKA has been known for. As for Lawler, it's hard to say where he goes from here. Although he wasn't battered silly and knocked down, he absorbed close to 500 strikes and was nowhere near stopping Covington. He can still be a dangerous threat in the division, but the type of striker he needs to evolve into to stay competitive is hard to accomplish at this point in his career. The best kind of anti-wrestling strikers that can be emulated are Max Holloway and Robert Whittaker, with shades of Jose Aldo and Cody Garbrandt sprinkled in. Holloway and Whittaker apply tons of volume and feints that will get even the best counter-striker and wrestler to overcommit and dull their reaction time. Aldo has amazing reflexes and does a great job of pivoting offline when attacks come at him straight, causing you to miss by a mile. Garbrandt's ability to blitz you down the center after you throw a kick can be utilized against anyone who is a prolific leg kicker, especially since the kicker is now on one leg after throwing a kick. These are some tools that a striker must be familiar with, otherwise they can get figured out pretty quickly. All we know for certain is that the welterweight title picture is now a bit more muddied since Covington now has a claim to fight Usman instead of friend and training partner Jorge Masvidal. It's hard to say what the UFC's next move will be, but there's a lot more interesting fights to pick from. Until then, goodbye.